0: Well, this morning we are starting our Christmas series called The Name, and we'll be in it this Sunday, next Sunday, which is Christmas Sunday. Can you believe next Sunday is Christmas Sunday? I mean, what happened? And then Christmas Eve, we'll be together for three services, and uh, you just got to pick one of them, but I'll be here for all three. And uh, we're looking forward to that. But we're going to spend this month in Isaiah chapter 9, looking at the words that the prophet Isaiah spoke many years before the birth of Jesus, promising not just that Jesus would come, but promising who he would be with the revelation of four special names. And when I think of Christmas, I do think of promises and the promise of the celebrations that we're going to have. One of my earliest Christmas memories is in 1986. My family moved from Springfield, Missouri, to, right to this local area to start this church that you're sitting in this morning. And that winter, I, I remember the one thing that I wanted the most. I was about eight years old. The one thing I wanted the most was a bike. You know cuz we we moved to Baldensville and we lived in Radisson in the townhouse complex in Radisson that's still there. I took my daughters there not too long ago to see where I grew up. And this was a time. Now listen, the 80s for kids, this was the best time to be a kid. Like if you've seen ET and Goonies, like it was really like that. We could do whatever we wanted all day long. Now it's like if my girls want to just go across the street, I'm like, well, let me make sure I can track you on my phone. And uh, I want a background check on their parents. And I want to know, like, where are going to be and what are you going to eat? Make sure here's your list of allergies to hand to them, right? So, like, it's a totally different world now. But back in the 80s, it was just like all the parents would say as you left was goodbye. Right, Um, Goodbye and, and try to be back by dinner. And so in this little townhouse area, there was a lot of space for us to ride our bikes. And my friends had bikes and I didn't have one. And if you don't have a bike and your friends do, you can't really keep up with them. So I really wanted a bike. And I remember we were opening our presents that Christmas and we were down to like the last present. And I could tell just by looking at it, this is not a bike. So I was like already super bummed. And I opened this gift up for my mom and my dad, and it's a bike seat cover. And they said to me, this is to, this is to inspire you and to motivate you. You can hang this bike seat cover on the wall in your bedroom, and it will motivate you to save money and to earn money so that you can buy a bike. And I was thinking, I haven't lived many Christmases, but this is quickly becoming my worst Christmas Ever. <laughs> Now, they were not cruel or unusual. The next thing they said is, by the way, there's something in the bathroom. And so I went to the bathroom, and there was my new bike. And, of course, it was an exciting. But the bike seat wasn't what I wanted. It was just the promise of what I really wanted. And when we, when we, when we read from Isaiah chapter 9, what we're reading here is a promise that God has made us. And Christmas is about a promise and a promise keeping God. And this morning, I just want us to consider two simple thoughts about Christmas and promises. And the first one is this that Christmas means that God kept his promise to us. In Genesis chapter 12, God chose a man named Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I'm, I'm going to make a promise to you. And my promise is that I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless the world. And this is how we became, this is how the nation of Israel began to rise up. And then when Israel grew and got larger, they had a king named David. You're familiar with David, probably. And God gave David a promise, and he said to David, David, your throne will reign forever. Someone will always be reigning on your throne, and that there is a future king coming from your line that will deliver this world and lead it to salvation. But by the time Isaiah is writing these words, everybody was wondering if those promises were still true. Because God's people didn't hold up their end of the bargain. They disobeyed God. They loved other gods. They lived in other ways. They did the wrong thing. And God allowed them in the sixth century, the, the, Jude, the people of Judah, to be taken captive by a powerful nation known as Babylon. And the Babylonians had dragged the people of Judah into exile. And now all of the people of God are living in places outside of where they were supposed to be, doing things that they weren't supposed to be doing, learning languages and other, and other customs and other cultures and losing their identity in the midst of it. And, and in the middle of all of this, I'm sure the people of God are asking the question, are the promises still true? I don't know if you've ever been at that place in your life where you've been going through something And you've asked yourself, are the promises still true? Have I messed up too bad? Have I gone too far? Has it gotten too dark? Is it too difficult? And that's where the people of Israel are when Isaiah writes these words in chapter 9. And I want you to look at this passage with me. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 and 2 and then go down to 6 and 7. He says, but there will be, future tense, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. He's giving this promise that those of you who are in pain, someday there will be no gloom. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And what he's referencing here is the exile. But in the latter time, the future, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. I love this verse. The people who walked, past tense, in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light shone. And then down to verse 6, this familiar passage, we sang these words this morning. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. That means every outcome of history rests on the shoulders of this person. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And I love this phrase because what it means is that someday, when you and I are in the presence of God forever and ever, every day will be better than the one before it. That's what Isaiah is prophesying here, that there will be an increase of joy and peace day after day after day. He goes on to say, On the throne of David and over his king, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts... We'll do this. Now, this passage is filled with promises of something better. And the Old Testament is filled with promises of something better. You know, a lot of times when we read the Old Testament stories, and the Old Testament, let's be honest, the Old Testament has the best stories, right? I mean, these are the craziest, weirdest, strangest, most interesting stories. A lot of times when we read these Old Testament stories, we make a mistake. We reduce them to morality tales, What I mean is this, we reduce them to simple lessons on how we should live our lives. So, you know, Joseph was good here when he was tempted, so you should be good when you are tempted, right? But um, this person was bad, and because they were bad, they got caught up in this, and so you shouldn't live this way. And we reduce these tales to: here's how you should live, and here's how you shouldn't live, good example, bad example, we deify the good characters, we demonize the bad ones, And then we look at these characters like they're heroes. But the problem is that in almost all of these people's lives, we can learn things we should do and we shouldn't do, right? David's life. Have courage and fight the giants. Be just like David. Ah, Up until this story. (laughs) Then stop being like David. Be like Abraham. Have faith. Up until the point where he pretended his wife was his sister so he wouldn't get in trouble, right? Be like Moses, except for that whole murdering somebody part. And so we're left with these people in the Old Testament who they, we realize when we look closely they're not heroes they're humans just like you and I. And so our ultimate hope is not in any of these Old Testament characters they were per, they were not perfect they were people they couldn't save themselves they couldn't fix themselves they were lost and they were broken in other words they aren't the bike they're the bike seat cover. They point us to something better. You know, in the Old Testament, we have prophets, priests, and kings. But every prophet, priest, and king just points us to the better prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Testament, the prophets were the ones who spoke for God. They spoke the word of the Lord. But Jesus Christ came, the greater prophet, and he didn't come just to speak the word. He came to be the word. In a person, Jesus became everything God the Father wanted to say to the world in a person. And that's why in John 1.14, it says that the word became flesh. And he dwelled among us. Or the message translation says, he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came to be with us. In the Old Testament, the priests were wonderful. They would make sacrifices on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus didn't come to make sacrifices for his people. He came to be the sacrifice for his people. And the kings, I mean, most of them, honestly, were terrible. But even the best ones... They would rule with power and strength and, with, and, and, and just with brutality at times and intimidation from a distance. But Jesus Christ is the only king who left his throne to come and live amongst his people. And so all of these promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament is filled with promises of something better. And the people of Israel are hoping, who is this king? Who is this better prophet? Who is this priest? Who is this suffering servant? Who is this king? And then after the book of Malachi, 400 years silence until an angel shows up in a really unexpected out-of-the-way place called Nazareth comes to a teenage girl who's engaged to be married and has some really exciting news for her and when the angel came to Mary it meant God kept his promise and when the angel spoke to Joseph in a dream to take Mary then it meant God kept his promise. And when the shepherds were startled by the choir of angels, it meant God kept his promise. And when the star appeared in the sky and the wise men saw it and followed it to worship the king, it meant God kept his promise. And when Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, it meant that God kept his promise. And with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it meant that God kept his promise to us. Christmas means that God kept his promise to us. Now, as wonderful as that is, There is a problem, and the problem is this, that the promise that God made with us was known as a covenant, and covenants require something of both parties. So God said to Israel, I'll bless you, you'll be my people, and I will be your God, and if you obey me and walk in my ways, I will bless you. But the history of humankind is, we don't do that. We don't obey him. We don't walk in our ways We're selfish, and we go our own ways. And this we see in Israel, but we can't just look at the Israelites in the Old Testament and be like, what are these people's problems? Why can't they get their junk together? All you gotta do, if you're honest, is look at yourself and say, what is my problem? Why can't I get my junk together sometimes? So what hope do we have? Well, there's three things in the text that we read that give us hope. And the first thing is this. In verse two, it said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, this is so important, that word on them has light shown. It's a totally different story if that word on is the word from. If it read, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, from them light has shown. That would mean, that the answer's here, that you have the answer, that your hope lies within you. And that is really the message of society in our world today and our culture, that if you just kind of look inside yourself, you'll find the light, you'll find the answers. But Isaiah says, no, 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 no. The light has to come upon you. It has to come from outside of you. You cannot give yourself this light. How do we receive it? Well, in verse 6, six it said that for, to, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. This is a gift. Hopefully you're going to receive gifts in the next couple weeks. Gifts are not things that we earn or that we deserve or that we demand. Right, kids? You don't demand gifts. No demanding of gifts. Gifts are things that people give you because they love you and because they want to bless you. So when it says, for to us, a child is born and a son is given, it means that Jesus Christ was a gift. We did not earn Jesus. We were graciously given Jesus. And at the end of verse 7, it said that the commitment of God will make this happen. The zeal of the Lord will cause this to happen. And I'm so glad that that verse doesn't say, if you have enough zeal, you'll make it happen. If you will commit yourself strongly enough, intensely enough, and consistently enough, then there's light coming from you. But just you got to really commit. It doesn't say that. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message is this. It's the zeal of God that made it happen. It's God, God is infinitely more committed to you than you have ever been to him. And it's enough. It's enough. Because it's the commitment of the Lord that makes this happen. So the light shines upon us, not from us. The child is given to us, not earned by us. And it's the zeal of the Lord that makes it happen. And what this all means, by the way, is that the central message of Christmas, the central message of Christianity, is that Jesus Christ came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus accomplished for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. We're promise breakers. We're not promise keepers we can't even keep promises to ourselves. Just watch how many christmas cookies you're going to eat in the next 2 weeks. I don't care what sort of promises you make about how you're going to eat during the holidays and how you're going to be better this year. We were talking before church with some friends and, and, and Jared Berry was saying to me, "Yeah, I really got to start watching When I, I really got to start paying attention to what I eat." And I was like, "Now? Like now? Are you crazy? This is the one time of the year where you, you shouldn't do that. You're going to pay, you're going to punish yourself in the holidays?" I said, "January 1st." <laughs> January 1st, but live a little, right? Enjoy, enjoy all them Christmas cookies. But we do. How many of us, if you can think back to your New Year's resolutions that you made at the beginning of 2021, how many of us actually ever keep the promises we make to ourselves, let alone the promises we make to others? The hope's not here. The hope is in Jesus. And this is what it means, that Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And the last thing I want us to see from the text this morning is not just that God kept his promise to us, but this is so important. Jesus kept our promises for us. He kept our promises for us. Jesus came in our place. Now, if Jesus came just as an example, that's actually really bad news for you and me. Because in case you didn't know, he was perfect. And maybe some of you grew up with some older brothers or older sisters who they were like, they seemed like they were perfect and you hated being in their shadow. But can you imagine living in the shadow of Jesus Christ? If Jesus came only as an example, he will crush us because we can't do it. But Jesus didn't come as your example, although he's a wonderful example. Jesus came as your substitute. He came to do it in your place. He didn't say, hey, look at what I do. now. you try your best. And on your good days, I'm proud of you. And on your bad days, I'm embarrassed of you. That's not not the message of Christianity. What Jesus said is, I'm going to live the life you never could have lived. And when you place your faith and trust in me, what happens is that my perfect performance record, his perfect promise keeping, is now given to you. His medals hanging around your neck. His pins are on your chest. His resume is where yours used to be his performance record speaks for you. And this is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus did not live perfect to be your example. He did not die on the cross to be your example. He came to be your substitute. If he's only our example, he crushes us. But if he came as the lamb of God to be the sacrifice for all sins, our substitutionary sacrifice, then he heals us and he strengthens us and he saves us. And he gives us peace with God and he gives us the peace of God so that whatever circumstance you're walking through this morning, you can know that he has not abandoned you and he will not abandon you. If God would not spare his very son, how will he abandon you now? He's with you. And that's what the word Emmanuel means. God with us. In closing, as you exchange gifts this Christmas with family and friends, remember this, that the greatest exchange ever, the most important exchange ever is this, that Jesus took our promise-breaking performance record upon himself on the cross, and the penalty for all of the promise-breaking that you and I have done for all of time. And we get his promise-keeping performance record and what he deserved. And if that's true, then the central message of Christmas and the central message of Christianity is not good advice. Christianity is not, here's a bunch of, here's a lot of good advice. Live this way, think this way, act this way, do this way, behave this way, wear this, go there, don't go there. That's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is not good advice. Christmas is good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ did everything for is necessary for us to be loved and accepted by the Father. And so here's what it means, and I'll finish. God the Father kept his promise to us because Jesus, the Son, kept our promises for us. And now the Holy Spirit keeps the promise within us. And it's the Holy Spirit that speaks to your heart and says, you belong to Jesus. You don't have to walk in insecurity and fear. You don't have to think, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Well, if people really knew this about me, if people really saw who I really was, you don't have to live under that sort of burden. You don't have to live under that sort of pressure. Because when the Father looks at you, he sees you as if you lived the life that Jesus himself lived. And that's the message of Christmas, that God keeps his promise to us because Jesus keeps our promises for us. And the good news is this, and some of you, I think all of us, but some of you really need to hear this this morning, that darkness and despair will not go on forever. Someday, even death will die. Someday we'll be in the presence of God And when the Apostle John saw a vision of heaven, he said, we don't even need the sun. We don't need the moon. We don't need the stars. Why? Because the light of God will so fill that world and fill our lives that there will be a day where you won't even remember darkness anymore. The darkness around you, the darkness within you, because the light of Jesus Christ pierced the darkness of Bethlehem so that the light of Jesus Christ could fill the darkness within our hearts so that someday we could know that someday there will be no more darkness and no more despair You will love Jesus the way you wish you always had. And Jesus will lead you into ever-increasing joy in his presence. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. I just want to pray that for a minute over each of you, that you, if you feel like you're walking in deep darkness, that you will hold on to the hope that God has promised you, you will see a great light. There is a greater light coming. Jesus, we thank you for that. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And this is what Christmas means, that we have the hope. We have the hope of a promise-keeping God. Our promise-keeping God, he's with us, and he's for us. He's not against you. He's for you, and he's with you. And Christmas proves that. Let's bow our heads. God, this morning there's a temptation to believe all sorts of lies about ourselves. But help our ears to hear your spirit speaking truth that we belong to the Father because of the work of the Son and that we are sealed and secured by the Spirit of God. And that nothing can take us from your hands and nothing can separate us from your love and that you have good plans and purposes for us. We love you, we trust you, and we thank you for it. We place our hope in you, Jesus. You're more than enough. In this Christmas season, find your home in our hearts. Dwell within us, your people, so we might love you and serve you. Thank you, God. Let's stand together. and We're going to sing this new song that we learned this morning about the names of Jesus.